This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hello, and welcome to the Press Gallery, Edmonton Journal's politics podcast, The Dude, Where's My Laptop? edition. My name is Sarah O'Donnell, and with me today on January 23rd, 2014, in the newsroom studio to pick through a couple of hot topics are provincial affairs reporter Miriam Ibrahim. Hello. Columnist Paula Simons. Hello, Miss Sarah. And our producer Ryan Jackson, who may chime in from time to time if the mood strikes him. Or not. Hi, Ryan. Three of us are just fresh out of an editorial board meeting with federal NDP leader Thomas Mulcair. So I think we should talk this week about why various federal leaders have been dropping in on Alberta. But we definitely want to start with a topic that has directly affected one in six Albertans. The theft of a laptop that contained personal information of 620,000 people who were patients of MediCenters clinics in Edmonton and Calgary. So, Miriam, can you tell us how we found out about this theft in the first place and and why it has political, you know, why we're talking about it on a politics podcast? Uh, well, well, we first heard about this yesterday late in the afternoon when we received a statement from Health Minister Fred Horn saying that he had just been uh, informed of this uh, breach of private information uh, in a letter from the vice president of MediCenters the day before on Tuesday. He called a hasty press conference uh, to, to comment on this and uh, essentially said that it had come to his attention that the breach had happened in September, that it had been uh, reported to the Privacy Commissioner's Office as well as the Edmonton Police, but that it had not been, uh, he had not been informed, that nobody had told the government that 620,000 Albertans had uh, had their, their private information lost. And this was uh, information that included uh, names, uh, dates of birth, as well as um, diagnostic codes and uh, billing codes, uh, as well as the Alberta, their Alberta health card numbers. So quite a lot of private information. Contact info too? Uh, is there, do we know if there was contact information? No, it's not clear that okay. there was contact information. Um, and, and we should stress that there, these aren't your complete medical records. So it's not okay. that anybody can see whether, you know, you were treated for herpes or, you know, throat infections or right. ear infections. But it's nonetheless, it's disturbing because this is your health, your health number, which could potentially allow someone to access even more private information. Depending on what the diagnostic diagnostic codes are, and you know, if they were to fall into the hands of someone uh, with nefarious intentions, I think you can sort of look up what those codes mean and 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 what someone might be treated for. Right. Uh, ultimately, the company says, MediCenter says, there's no indication that this uh, data has fallen into the hands of someone who's being mi- who's misusing it. However, I think uh, you know, obviously, Fred Horn yesterday was quite uh, outraged as he said well because i mean let me just go back to one thing you said so you said the laptop was stolen in september 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 26th and it's january that we are hearing about this that's right so and 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 not just the health minister had had they so they told the privacy commissioner it was reported to police had they told the people whose personal information was stolen 
No. Oh. It appears that n- nobody who was affected by this, and to be clear, people, anyone who visited a MediCenter clinic between May 2nd, 2011 and September 19th, 2013 is affected. That's 620,000 people. Um, that is me and my children, yes. In Edmonton or Calgary, and nobody was contacted nobody knew about this publicly uh until yesterday until thursday uh sorry wednesday okay so what was the the health minister's reaction to this like why was he then taking the step of holding a press conference about this it's a it's the medi centers who have lost the information so why did he take the step to hold the press conference uh essentially he was saying he was outraged that no one had told him that and 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 by extension that the public then didn't know that nobody had taken any steps to inform the public that such a massive breach had occurred now we're hearing today i mean the most remarkable part about this story to me is that the privacy commissioner's office as we've been told was was informed about this october 1st they began working with the company to ensure that their security protocols were enhanced, to work with the company in terms of finding a way perhaps to contact um, people who are affected. But the Privacy Commissioner, Joel Clayton, said today, and, and they were saying yesterday as well, her office, there's nothing under the Health Information Act that, um, A, compels a company as a custodian of health information to inform the government uh, when a breach like this occurs and that also her hands are tied that she has no authority to then inform the government about such a breach when it's brought to this her attention. This sounds like craziness to me. Don't we have a very uh, robust series of privacy protection well, laws in Alberta? This is the fascinating thing. If this had been a company that sold mattresses so like or, or a target cars. yeah this had been target they would have been covered by a different piece of legislation which goes by the short name pippa and that deals with privacy of information that's held by commercial and private companies this was health information and it's covered by a separate piece of legislation the health information act now normally that would apply to agencies of the government or the government itself, like Alberta Health Services or Covenant Health. Um, But in this case, it also affects the MediCenter, which is a private company. And this is where you get into this weird thing about Alberta's healthcare system. Yes, we have public healthcare, but MediCenter is a private company, a for-profit private company. The doctors don't work for Fred Horn. The company doesn't work for Fred Horn. People have been calling me today and saying, Fred Horn should fire these people. Fred Horn can't fire these people. He probably would if he could, though, given his track record. (laughs) Fred Fred Horn does seem to have a penchant for firing people, but he can't fire these people. And so what Jill Clayton came out today and said, and and I think that, you know, Jill Clayton was a little bit worried about, you know, what Fred Horn said of her yesterday, because, you know, the minister certainly insinuated that somehow she had failed to let him know. And Jill Clayton made a statement today that in no uncertain terms to say that she was bound by the law of the province. She's an officer of the legislature. She can only enforce the law as written. And she said in her statement that she has repeatedly told the government that there is a hole in the Health Information Act, that it should be brought into line with PIPA. As privacy commissioner, she can't make that change herself. She's dependent on the government to do so. She can only enforce the law as written. It, It does seem unfair, I'm sure, not just from her perspective, for the government to hang her out to dry for a problem that is of their making. I thought it was really interesting, too, because I did ask um, Minister Fred Horn uh, yesterday at that press conference about why why the Privacy Commissioner's Office and his view hadn't informed him about this breach uh, and why it was the company that ultimately did. 
he couldn't answer the question. He said uh, essentially he didn't know and suggested that I direct that question to the privacy commissioner's office, which I think is quite quite interesting and, and, and maybe quite telling, in fact, that, that you know, if, if the privacy commissioner is saying that there is this gap and that he wasn't able to identify it when asked about that. What's the company saying? Have we had any explanation <laughs> from the company? Like, so was this actually stolen? Like, did a bad man break into a well, car? Like, and this is what it, I, it does not seem so. I mean, the, the, the explanation that we've been given is that the laptop computer didn't belong to a direct employee of the Medi Center, but to an IT consultant that they had brought in, ironically, to help them find better ways to communicate with government. <laughs> um, and that he was he had this data for, for running tests, it seems, and he had it on his laptop, and it wasn't encrypted. There was a password, just like you or I would have a password on our laptop, but there was no other heightened security to encrypt this very personal information. He had it on his laptop, in his car. He was driving from meeting to meeting to meeting to meeting. And at some point, he lost track of the laptop. It seems that it kind of was lost track of on the 26th. They didn't report the theft to the Edmonton Police Service, police say, until October 5th. So. It's not actually clear to me that it was stolen at all. I mean, I suspect I'm not the only person who's put my cell phone down someplace and then not remembered it and then was convinced my cell phone had been stolen when, in fact, I had lost my cell phone, which is not quite the same thing. Uh, So it's entirely possible that nobody stole this laptop, that there's no nefarious scheme to mine our data, that it's sitting in some pawn shop somewhere, um, or that somebody's using it to, you know, download episodes of Desperate Housewives. I don't know. Hmm. And in terms of the information that was lost, um, having spoken to to someone with the Privacy Commissioner's Office yesterday, um, the information, they sort of call it tombstone information. It's sort of it's, it's enough pieces of information to get going on perhaps creating a false identity or a fraudulent identity for yourself, but it's not all of the pieces, and it's certainly not enough to turn around and apply for a credit card, for example. It is, though, concerning because it, it is some of the information that's necessary to get going on that track, which is why I think there's so much concern here. And, if, and of course, you know, a lot of people have been, been saying, you know, what was 620,000 Albertans records doing on one unencrypted laptop to begin with? And I think those those questions need to be answered. What do you think this says about the state of our privacy protections in Alberta? So does it speak to the need for beefed up laws like like Jill Clayton seems to be asking for? Is it just frankly time to abandon any pretense of privacy that we have in electronic age? I mean, we're giving our information all the time to all kinds of companies. Like, do we just need to get used to the fact that it's out there floating around? I think it's inter- it's an interesting question. I think, I mean, obviously we hear about breaches uh, often enough that they're, they're resonating with people. Um, the, the one thing I sort of took away from this was the fact that the data hadn't been encrypted. That's a very simple thing to do. Mm-hmm. That's something that the Privacy Commissioner's Office has routinely called on businesses to do. If you have data, especially on a device that's mobile or easily lost, like a laptop or a, a external hard drive, for example, that data should be encrypted as a matter of routine. Right. Uh, and we're, and we continuously hear of these examples of, of machines being lost and data on it not being encrypted. It's, it seems to me a simple uh, fix for, for part of this problem. And, and you think the IT consultant might have been aware of that? I mean, I, I think the laws, I mean, what Clayton is pointing to is an irregularity where the Health Information Act is not in line with other 
provincial privacy legislation. I think it should be brought into line. But let's remember, too, that the Supreme Court of Canada struck down PIPA in its entirety back in November. Oh, that's uh, right. So, you know, PIPA, they've given the province one year to rewrite PIPA. So as long as we're tidying up our privacy legislation, it would make sense to have it be all in sync. This is a good conversation on that, but I think let's transition now that while Albertans have been worrying about privacy, there have been federal politicians here who are hoping to be less of a mystery. They would like us to know as much as possible about them. Both official opposition leader Thomas Mulcair and liberal leader Justin Trudeau were in Edmonton on Thursday. Here's a little bit about what Thomas Mulcair had to say to the journal's editorial board. My number one chore is to get rid of the conservatives who are there now, because I don't think that they're good economically, I don't think that they're good socially, and I don't think that they're good environmentally. Indeed, they've got great branding. You always have to make concessions uh, on these things. The conservatives have superb branding on the economy. There's a reflex in the the public to say they must be good at this, but every single time you look at their actual results, whether it's the balance of payments, whether it's international trade, whether it's military procurement, where we can't even buy an armed vehicle, much less helicopters or ships, they failed. Miriam, you talked to both of them. Can you tell me a little bit more about what the two gentlemen were doing here in Edmonton? Were they here together on a on a on a road trip? Uh, uh, would that be a good show? The <laughs> Trudeau Mulcaire road trip. Uh, uh, no one will be surprised to hear that. No, they were not traveling together on a on a on a tour together. Obviously, both of them are here to uh, enhance the profile of their parties, the Liberals and the NDP. There are there's a by-election that's going to be coming up in Fort McMurray, so they do have to sort of turn their attention there. Not that they either party has a hope of taking that seat. Um, You're probably right. Uh, but, you know, they do need to present um, uh, a, a party, parties that um, are, are going to be addressing Albertans that, that don't ignore uh, a whole section of, of the country just because they don't think that they're going to be able to to gain any any more seats here. Right. I think Parliament resumes next week, right? So they're using the opportunity to crisscross various places. Uh, and, and That's and right. Paula, after spending an hour and 15 minutes with Thomas Mulcair, what do you think? Is his brand going to sell in Alberta? This is the first time I've had a chance to meet Thomas Mulcair. And when he came into the Journal's editorial board today, I thought he made a very impressive impression. He was articulate, he was intelligent, he had very reasoned answers to some pretty tough questions. But I think it's also clear that the product that he's selling is not market tested for Alberta. And I really didn't have the impression that he had thought through in advance how he could position his ideas to be of interest to Albertans. Some of the issues that he raised simply don't pertain in this province, and others of them came across as directly hostile to Alberta's interests, whether it was his opposition to the Keystone Pipeline or to the Northern Gateway Pipeline. I think there is a way for a new Democrat to come into this province and say to Albertans, you know, I understand that not everybody is comfortable with the pace of development. I understand that people are concerned about the impact of the oil sands on air and the watershed. But I had the impression that when he spoke to us, that he wasn't really talking to reach Alberta readers or to reach Alberta voters, but that his stop here was really designed to say things that would read well in other provinces where the, where possibly, more pragmatically, his votes are. Right. I mean, he was talking about the challenges of 
people working several part-time jobs and not having any stability. And certainly there are families in Edmonton and Alberta who that pertains to. I mean, 10% of the province, I think, uh, is, lives below the poverty line. But it's, it's, it's not the same to the same degree as in some of the places he was talking about like he talked about Toronto having a huge proportion of families that are are struggling to make ends meet on multiple part-time jobs and I just don't think that's Alberta's situation no and I think it's it's a very tricky task he has as leader of the opposition with the kind of I mean he did not to his credit, he was completely upfront. He said, you know, we're social Democrats. We're not going to signal left and then veer right. Um, and I thought, actually, you know, if you signaled left and then veered right, people would be probably in this province a lot more comfortable. I just don't know that the kind of diction that he uses and the language that he uses is what Albertans are used to hearing. And I'm not sure that the message that he's selling is going to resonate here, which is not to say that he didn't come across as a very thoughtful and principled leader. I just don't know that he has given enough thought or perhaps that he cares to give enough thought to crafting a message that will help NDP candidates like, say, Lewis Cardinal, who had a very good run in Edmonton Center in the last federal election. I think there are winnable seats for the Democrats, especially in Edmonton and in parts of northern Alberta that have voted uh, NDP provincially in the past. I think there are ways that Mulcair could gain traction here. I just don't know that that's part of his strategy. Okay, Miriam, you talked to Justin Trudeau, not for as long. You got to talk to him for about 15 minutes, where I think we had more than an hour with with Mr. Mulcair. Did you get a sense that he is tailoring a message to Albertans, though? Yeah, I mean, it was was more tailored um, than than the message, I think, that we did hear from Mulcair. Uh, I think, obviously, uh, Trudeau has a... A, a delicate line to toe in Alberta. He has to uh, overcome two humps: the the liberal brand, um, you know, and, and I think so many people immediately think back to the national energy program, even today. But also, it, it, also the Trudeau liberal brand, right? This these sort of this extra challenge that he has. What he did was sort of position himself uh, against both the conservatives and the NDP, saying that the liberals um, are a national party option. For Canadians across the country, and they are not uh, going, you know, too far in one direction in terms of the economy, nor are they going too far in the other direction in terms of the environment. But rather, that they are uh, providing a middle of the road approach that uh, understands that the economy needs to be developed in a sustainable way, and that that is what our international trading partners want from us. Which I think is an interesting um, way to sort of differentiate his party from from his competitors. Here's a quick clip of what Trudeau had to say to you. We know uh, that the oil sands are an extremely important part of uh, the Canadian economy uh, and contribute to jobs uh, across the country, uh, directly and indirectly, uh, and therefore they need to continue to be uh, a source of, of, uh, of growth for this country, of, of wealth generation. However, we also know that Canadians are very, very worried uh, about uh, environmental sustainability, about uh, the future of, of, uh, of not just our wilderness, but our own health and our family's kit, our family's future and, and health. And where the difficulty comes in is both of my main opponents have uh, taken easy answers. It sounds like we're going to see more of uh, Thomas Mulcair and Justin Trudeau in Edmonton and Alberta in the next coming months. They're all getting ready for this 2015 federal election. So I guess we won't be able to get rid of them perhaps at various points. 
when they're here, if they could listen to us, I think they'd want to hear our recommendations for good stuff from the gallery. I, I think Thomas, <laughs> Mr. Mulcair had to, had to leave before we could give him our suggestions right away. But um, why don't I start? Because if I had had a chance to tell him what I would recommend he read for a good political read or political view, I would have suggested he go to the World Economic Forum website. Um, we didn't, so we didn't really get a chance to talk about this this week. The premier, our, our premier, Alison Hartford, is in Davos at this World Economic Forum uh, summit. She's there as a observer, I think, more and hoping to get in a few questions and have a few important discussions and perhaps yell at Al Gore or uh, talk about the facts about Alberta's oil sands. I, I, the facts is as, as Redford would. That's right. Yes. So I've heard a lot about this forum over the years, but this week I've been actually poking around the website because I was wondering if any of these uh, sessions are on video or live. And it turns out that they do record them, uh, not all of them, I'm sure, but some of them. And I saw a press conference that was fascinating. And this wasn't one that it was after it was called Leading the Global Climate and Energy Agenda. And it was just recorded today. And so it was was basically a press conference with the UN Secretary General Ban Ki-moon, the President of the European Commission, and uh, the President of the World Bank. And I'm going to recommend that everyone watch this because it's a 23-minute press conference that shows what Canada is up against and how very seriously we need to be responding to world demands that Alberta do something about climate change. Um, Jim... Yong Kim, the president of the World Bank, said very clearly in this press conference, this is a year that we need to take action on climate change. No more excuses. And this is the president of the World Bank saying that governments need to be putting a price on carbon. This shows that Canada and Alberta are not going to be able to skirt by with our current practices as laudable as we think we are and pretend that it's going to be good enough on the world stage. As laudable as we think we are. (laughs) Present company accepted. That's right. Yes. So that's what I'll recommend. So that is called the Global Climate and Energy, sorry, Leading the Global Climate and Energy Agenda. It's a video on the World Economic Forum's website, and I'll put up the link because it is a tiny bit hard to find. You have to root through the stuff. But if you Google that, it might pop up. Miriam, how about you? As much as I want to recommend to everyone to watch the latest Rob Ford video, I'll spare you and instead suggest that uh, since our colleague Graham Thompson wasn't able to join us today, I'm going to recommend his recent column on Premier Redford's quote-unquote panel discussion with Al Gore. Is it a panel discussion? Is it a debate? Is she just an audience member? You can read Graham's column to shed some light on this. It's called Allison and Al duel or dud in Davos. Uh, and so uh, I'll, I'll recommend that. And my good you can find that week. on the Edmonton Journal website as well. Paula? I'm going to recommend something a little bit lighter and a little bit closer to home than Davos. And that's a wonderful, wonderful, funny blog post by our colleague Jason Markasoff, who's a City Hall reporter with the Calgary Herald. It's called An Open Letter to the Metacenter Laptop Thief. Uh, Jason is, of course, one of the 620,000 people whose private information was stolen on that laptop or misplaced on that laptop. And he's taken a moment to write a very funny, sharp, snarky cri de cour for the laptop thief uh it's it's you know it seems to hit just the right note between being funny and being sardonic it's on jason markasoff's uh, blog on the calgary herald website uh his blog is actually always a pretty great read and this is this is one that i think will resonate with a lot of people Six hundred and twenty thousand of them to be precise one in six in my defense climate change affects us all <laughs> on that note <laughs> we'll wrap up for this week uh, thanks for listening and thanks for our producer Ryan Jackson who's keeping us in line and reasonable and not helping us to not yell into the microphones 
You can find uh, previous episodes of the Press Gallery on EdmontonJournal.com's opinion page and also on SoundCloud and iTunes. Just look up the Press Gallery and you'll see Edmonton Journal's Politics Podcast. We've got a Facebook page, Facebook.com slash the Press Gallery. I'd always love it if you like us. You could set up other accounts to like us as well. That's even better. <laughs> Possibly fraudulent, but that's okay. We know that, you know, you might be able to get away with yeah, it. And you'll know if we suddenly see 620,000 likes. I can't, you'll like, <laughs> you'll I know can't, who's got the I laptop. Can't afford, I can't afford, like, some political campaigns to pay for likes. So I just need to earn every like the hard way. Thanks again for listening. We'll talk to you next week.